Welcome to Blood and Spirit, the podcast for Black families evolving. I'm your host, Njamele Ali. In season two of Blood and Spirit, we're going deeper into specific dynamics of Black family life. My guests will bring perspectives, experience, and insights on issues of ritual and tradition, communications, marriage, sexuality, and more. Today, I'm speaking with four members of the Sawiga Council on Aging, who will be sharing their ideas about grief, marriage, family life, and sexuality. Five days a week, the Council on Aging Center on Society Avenue is abuzz with all kinds of activity, including chair aerobics, tai chi, drumming, the wellness room, and so much more. So I want to thank Ms. Deborah Flood, <clears throat> the director of the congregate program at the center, for coordinating this opportunity with the support of the director, Ms. Izzy. Welcome to Blood and Spirit Podcast, everybody. So we're going to go around and have everybody just introduce themselves and just say a little bit. We have four members, so here you go. My name is Sarah Cuts McClendon. I was born in Cusper, Georgia, but my parents stayed in Dawson, Georgia, which is Terra County. I am 77 years old. I have 10 children. I have five adopted children and five birth children. I've been married to the same man be 58 years, October the 28th. And um, I have lived a wonderful life. I have enjoyed children, many children. And I was a foster parent for 33 years, so I done had a whole lot of love up in my house. Wow. <laughs> my name is Sally Sawyer. I have three children. I am a widower. My husband passed away five years ago from a massive heart attack. I am one who loves God, and God is a ruler in my household. My children are raised up to know who God is in their life. So I am happy. I've got 24 grandchildren. I am 76 years old, and I am truly blessed of the Lord. I'm here, Jimmy. I come from Alabama, Nat, Alabama. And we moved away from Nat, Alabama to come from Chama County, Alabama. And uh, we moved from Alabama to Georgia when I was a little boy. We walked it there, and uh, I got 16 great-grandkids, and uh, God know how many grandkids I got. And in a while, I've been married 30, about 35 years, you know. And uh, I went 40 years, and I'm retired now, and, and uh that would about it for me. I'm Christine Reagan Wilson. I'm from Fort Valley, Georgia. I have four children. I have only two grandchildren. Who are, the two are the love of my life, I, of course. And I have a lot of other children that I spoil, but I have only two grandchildren of my own. I worked for years in the Doherty County School System. I have 
enjoyed coming to the Council on Aging because I do volunteer work there with arts and crafts. And I am 78 years old and counting. As you can hear, um, we have a, a wonderful, wonderful variety, and it's amazing that we that our sample is a, around the same age, uh, and then between seventy what seventy six and seventy eight. Seventy seven. Right. Okay, we got one seventy one, and we have a seventy eight, seventy six, and seventy seven. Okay, so this is wonderful, and the variety of stories. I'm going to hold myself back and not get into each one of these stories today because I, I mean, each one is is so unique and so interesting, and and it just points out um, the richness of the life that we have here and what we can come together to do because of the creativity, the determination, the, the love and respect and all of these beautiful features that we see being demonstrated uh, just in those few introductions. So we're going to get right into, um, into the subjects that we're going to talk about today after, of course, I cannot go without asking y'all my classic first question because it, it is a window into culture. What is your favorite non-alcoholic drink? My favorite non-alcoholic drink is H2O water. <laughs> My non-alcoholic drink is water. So is mine, water. My favorite non-alcoholic drink is water, and I prefer it with lemon. <laughs> So we, you can see why these seventy, uh, upper seventy, and 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 uh, the new, the young, the young one here, the seventy-one year old, why they're so active and healthy because their favorite drink is water, which keeps us alive, and so that's that's a beautiful thing. So let's talk about um, let's talk about grief. It's something that all of us have to contend with. Um, we've all lost somebody over the years. And as we said in, in our last, um, in another session, growing, as, as we grow older, we continue to, you know, more and more people fall away from our lives. And it's something that we have to um, learn to contend with and, and to be at peace with. And it's, for me, it's become uh, one, of the, one of the most difficult things about uh, growing older is continuing to lose so many people. So I want to hear what each of you think about that process, uh, who you've lost, and how it affected you and how you got through it. Well, I lost my mother, my father, my grandmother, and grandfather. And I think the most important thing that helped me to overcome was God. I had to pray and ask him to release that from me, you know, because when you lose your parents, you lose your best friend. And uh, so I was able to overcome it. And, and that's the same way with me now. If I lose a loved one, uh, a family member, best friend, that's the way I deal with it. I pray to the Lord and turn it over to him, and he works it out. Do you pray for something specific, or you just, I mean, do you pray for peace? you pray for, what do you pray for? 
peace of mind, basic, and, uh, you know, to remove it from my mind. And I, sometimes I would get real busy and do things in the house, or, you know, to kind of block it out. Um, I like to decorate in the house and make drapes and stuff. So I would get busy and work, you know, in the house. And um, sooner or later, it just passed over. So has your has your belief about death changed over the years, evolved? Well, I always say that we didn't come here to stay. And we know that sometime or another, our time is going to come. So you just stay in God's hand and be ready to go when it's your time. So because we all know. We're not going to stay here forever. Thank you. Thank you. I believe that I have let God be my strength. I have my mother pass, my sister, my father, my brother, and my son who died at 34 with cancer. My belief and my trust in God is the one that has kept me to go through all the pain and the suffering. But most of all, God allowed me to keep the good memories of all that I shared with them in my lifetime. So that has kept me strong. I pray to God, Lord, continue to strengthen me through it all. And he has. So your belief and your trust in God is what will enable you to go through whatever. Because as my sister stated, we're not here to stay. And we too will meet our king. But it's your trust and your belief in God. And having that power to know that our God is more than able to take care of you. That's wonderful. And I'm going to ask, ask again, what is it that you prayed for? What, what was that strengthening? How did that strengthening actually work in your life, in addition to helping you stay with those memories? When I said, Lord, strengthen me, I was praying that God take me through this. Guide me. Keep me in your arms. Love on me. Speak to my heart, oh God. And this is what kept me strong and knowing that I will see them again. So that was my prayer. And knowing that they were saved and that they know God, that was the peace that I received, that I will see them again. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Well, my my thing, I for my brother died, older brother died. He was sitting in mama room in a big chair, and we thought he was asleep, and he was gone. Mm-hmm. Then next, my sister died. My baby, my older sister, and my baby sister died, and then. My baby brother died. It seemed like they were that father didn't wind up in the grave. But I got away. The way I did, 
I just went to work and kept going, kept going, praying to the Lord, and just kept going. It's still on my mind a lot. It'll be a while, but probably never get get over it. But now, then, about a year or two ago, my son died, my older son. And my wife find him in the bed. He used to come out every day, and you know, hug before go to bed. But that different time they then. And I find her there, and she never got over there. One reason I moved to that, too, because in that big old house, we couldn't stay in the sick room. But uh, that, that only reason I did it, because West all the time, keep my mind occupied all the time. And David, me, there. And you told me um, that actually working has been, that's been your life. You've been working since you were a little boy, right? Ten years old. And um, so you kind of went to, that was kind of a comfort zone for you to, to continue to work and, uh, and, and see your way to the future and look uh, towards your other loved ones that you care about. All right. I've lost... Uh Many in my family, of course, my grandfather, my grandmother, my mother, my father, and two sisters. I think the thing that was most traumatic for me was when I lost my two sisters. I lost one sister uh, in April, no, in March, and then I lost the second one in April of that same year. So that was very, very stressful for me. But I have grown up in the church, and I believe, I have faith, and when I pray, I say, let thy will be done on earth as it's done in heaven. And my prayer at losing my family members was, God, help me to accept your will. I ask you to let your will be done. Your will has been done. Give me the strength, the courage, and the fortitude that I will need to accept your will and move on. Death is pretty much the only thing that's certain in our lives. We know that when a child is born in this world, his days are numbered. And so uh, as I've grown older, I have come to accept that better, but it still hurts. I still uh, get emotional sometimes when I think about all of the losses in my life. Mm -hmm. But then I also realize, well, God is keeping me here for some reason, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to try to honor all of my people who have passed away by living the best life that I can. That's, you want to say a little more? No, that's pretty much what she said. It has been my sentiment as well, just to know that I am a child of God. And this has, what you have said, is just knowing that when you see, there's times that you will cry. When my husband passed away, and five years ago, I was almost in a state of, I didn't want to see nobody, didn't want to hear from nobody, just wanted to just be alone. And at the time that I was being alone, I spoke to God. 
And he has spoke to me. And he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So I, that kept me strong. That kept me happy because I know the life that we lived. And I know the love that we had for one another. So that's, that was a true blessing. Uh, one other thing that helped me along that road, uh, after my husband passed away, I was a little bit despondent, and I went in my bedroom, and I locked my door, and I got in my bed, and I really didn't want anyone to bother me. I just wanted to be there. And then one day, it just came to me. You cannot do this. Get out of that bed. God called him. He did not call you. Get out of that bed. You have a life to live. You have children. So I, I got up, and I went to my one of my favorite things, writing. And I wrote a poem about my husband's passing and, and what I went through during that time. And I talked about the... Uh, the dark and dismal road that I traveled and and uh, how I came out on the other end. And at the end, I say, uh, I, I may be uh, lonesome, but I'm not alone mm-hmm. and because I have a Savior to call my own. Mm-hmm. So that writing helped me. I love writing. And so that was one of the things that helped me to get through it. That is wonderful because, you know, um, faith is good. Trust and and knowing God, all of that is essential, I believe. Uh, It's also good to have some tools. I mean, some specific tools, writing, singing, listening, you know, deciding, having a thought can hold that you can hold on to, like like your thought of um, we didn't come here to stay. So those little things, you know, that you can catch hold to in a in a particularly dark moment can really, really help our listeners to be able to do that for themselves. And we not only have that as a people, as individuals, we have it as a community, we have it as a history, and we have it as a continuing saga of of losing young people to to violence that sh- that shouldn't have happened to police violence to uh even community violence and so there's a there's some other levels how do you when you hear about uh a young man unarmed young man being shot you know by a policeman in Chicago Detroit anywhere you know it 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 touches us and it hurts and so what do we do about that how do we handle that community uh, sense of grief? You know, that's a hard question to me, you know. Um, Sometimes that is your time to go, but you don't want to see them go that way, you know, being shot down or whatever. Uh, you know, I, I <laughs> when you say is that is that time to go, it reminded me of a question I want to ask about God's will. Is there anything that takes place outside of God's will? Well, I don't think so. You know, I think it is, is in his will because as you read your Bible, it, it tells you everything you need to know in that Bible. And the Bible is fulfilling itself. And yet, and yet, we fight for 
social justice. We, we work for social justice. We work to improve the lives of people in our neighborhoods and in our communities and our own lives and our own ideas. I think there are things that happen outside of God's will. God gave us free will. That's one of the things that he embodied in us. He doesn't force us to love him. He doesn't make us do. He allows us to do. So I, I don't think everything we do is within God's will. I think we are operating on that free will that God gave us. And I promise you, what I think is my free will is not what God will accept. And I don't think he accepts those things that go on. And I don't think it's, it's within his will. He does he does allow them to happen because of the free will that he gave man. Mm -hmm. So how do we deal with this with our community grief? With community grief, uh, we need to uh, pull together. We need to try to foster activities that create a more humane society because in my estimation, our society is growing more and more inhumane. We don't we don't worry about somebody else's pain. See, my parents brought me up to believe that if my neighbor was hungry, then I'm not okay. I need to do something. If my neighbor is in pain, then I'm in pain because that uh, whatever it is that's affecting that neighbor affects the community. And Personally, I just think that uh, I guess the Bible is fulfilling itself. We are getting wiser and weaker. Wow. So coming together, um, having opportunities for each other to talk through our grief, uh, having wholesome activities, what else do we do for community grief? Repeat that again. I was just repeating what you already told me. <laughs> just tell me what you think are ways for us to deal with community grief. Well, first of all, when I was coming up as a child, we had prayer in the home. You know, we prayed. Every morning we get up, my grandfather say, we come together, we pray for we all leave home. And we would pray when we get to school you know, in the school. But they took away the prayer from school, and some children, parents don't even take the time to pray with their children. And they just gone astray. That's what it is. Um, it's hard, you know, to have to listen at the news to hear about our children going across the TV screen. And basically, most of the time, it'd be our black children. You know, if the white children do something, we don't never know it. They keep it a secret. I worked for uh, Turner Carl in Macon, Georgia, for seven years. And I know for a fact that white kids is just as worse as our black kids, or worse. Because I had a one of my adopted sons, he was hanging with some white guys in school, and uh, I would tell Ramon, I said, Ramon, I say, 
I don't mind you hanging with them, but you got a mind of your own. And don't fall into their, what they want to do. Oh, he called me granny. Oh, granny. I said, okay. I said, if you get in any trouble with them, don't call me. Because I'm telling you now, you need to be aware of what you're doing with them. They went, the, these boys was graduating from high school. They was getting scholarships and all of that. My son was just in 11th grade. They went back with those white boys, vandalized the school, tore up the school, threw eggs all over the place and broke up things. And so they, they had to go to jail. I didn't go down there to get him because I had already told him. But when it came down to the bottom line, the white boy was trying to say it was the black, the, the black boys. Wow. So my adopted son said, I didn't have no money to buy no eggs and all that stuff. They was the one bought it, mm. you know, the eggs and everything. Mm -hmm. And um, so uh, they got out because it was first offense, you know, so they let them out. So the white parent called me. We got to have a meeting. Uh, uh, this is not fair because oh, they wow. son had got scholarship and the scholarship was taken away. Mm-hmm. And I told her, I said, now, if that had been, my boy had been the lead ringer of that, and I'd have called you and asked you, let's have a meeting, what would you have told me? Mm -hmm. I, I, uh, well, uh, uh, I'd have probably, you probably, I said, well, look, ma'am, I said, don't call me. You all handle it. And that's the way I did it. You all handle it. So when Ramon had to go to court, I did not go with him. No, ma'am. Because my thing is, don't let your hands and your feet get your ass in something you can't get out of. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, we cannot top that. What happened with Ramon? How Did, did he straighten up? Did he go well, to college and all that? He out of public school in, in Macon. So a friend of mine that worked at DFAC, she started teaching school at night. So he was able to go back and get his diploma at night. He graduated, you know, that way. And he was able to go into the Navy. And so he's out of the Navy on disability. So he, he made up for it. And he come and tell me all the time, say, Grant, I wish I had to listen to you. Well, I, I do believe that um, part of the thing that goes on with um, in the white community compared to how they deal with young black men is that they have the idea that boys will be boys, mm -hmm. but there's no opportunity for our boys to be boys and to make a mistake and come back from that in the same way that they are. Um, kicked out of school permanently. I, I don't agree that that's something that should have happened for him. No, it wouldn't. Um, that's not necessary for him to be uh, kicked out of school permanently. You know, have a time. You know, you have a, a, an amount of time that you, you pay for an action, especially something that did not hurt a soul, mm -hmm. and have the opportunity to go back to school and finish and, and continue. So... Um, 
you're tougher than I am for sure, because I know I would have been at the at the jail and in the courtroom uh, had it been me. But um, but you know, but accountability is important, and I think that that's something that um, that is a is an important part of parenting that we have to learn how to incorporate in a in a compassionate way. So, my thing is. With your children, my five birth children, all of them are doing very well. I have a son, he's uh, 54. He done retired from the uh, Air Force um, 29 years. He done retired from the uh, base 10 years, and he's getting ready to retire from the V8 hospital in Atlanta. My oldest daughter, she retired school teacher, 30 years, six months. I have a son that's in Atlanta. He's the engineer for this company, and he just worked three days a week. And the other days of the week, he has his own business where he renovate homes and build houses and call uh, old school renovation. Then my other son, Mike, that lives here, he is a fireman. And he'd been on the fire department 20-something years. And then my other daughter, um, Valeria, she's a Marticia. Uh, She went to school for that, and she worked for many years doing that, and she had to retire. And my baby girl I adopted, she's a teacher at Lamar Reese. And my other girl I adopted, she is a... uh, work at a Pulaski Prison, a correction officer, and Dante has his own business, and then Ramon, the one who went in the Navy. So they all doing good. Well, that's a, that's a wonderful roll call. And uh, as I said, you're tougher than me. I just, uh, that just wouldn't have been a thing that I could do, but you clearly poured a lot of love and care into your children. They know you cared. Um, Ramon was able to come back and acknowledge that he was wrong mm-hmm. and that he should have listened to you. And I'm just saying socially, you know, what the society provides uh, and, how the, and how the society um, punishes young black men for being young black men right. as compared to how they handle their own children. It would be interesting to find out how those, how those other young men fared in the process at any rate, we're talking about grief, uh, community grief, and how we handle that and um, what we do to get through it. And, of course, we're not going to take on the, the question right now of how we achieve social justice. That's, that's huge. And, um, but at least how do, we, how do we deal with these constant deaths that we hear about in our community and what can we do to strengthen ourselves in that environment? I only can say prayer. Uh, Get involved with your mayors, your congressmen, and try to give them ideas of what you feel as a community. As a community, and come together. Um, Speak up when you see things that are not right that is going on in your community. Help your neighbor, even if you see their child doing something. When I was raised up, 
if we did something that we shouldn't be doing and our neighbors seen it, they would whoop us, then my mother would whoop us, then daddy come home and he would whoop us. But we, we would teach the children. We would do it in love. Our community now with the police, they don't love us. I'd rather whoop my child and discipline them because they'll beat them to death. There's no love there. So community coming together to raise the children, the village raising the child, and and keeping our eyes, mm-hmm, keeping our eyes on them. That's another way for our for us to to actually just be a stronger community, not just in times when there's a death that takes place, but also in our regular daily lives, and helping the children to obtain their potential and us as, uh, as a whole obtain our potential. That's been wonderful. Thank you for those insights. We had two other subjects that we wanted to talk about. We wanted to talk about uh, sexuality and marriage. And I'm going to, uh, because we're running out of time, you know, and that's the thing. Once we get started talking, we can just, it just, it just goes. But I'm going to let y'all decide. Are we going to talk about marriage or sexuality? Marriage. Marriage, okay. So tell us, what do you... You, you told us how your how your marriage has been. You were married. You were you were widowed for since five years, and your marriage lasted for how long? Forty five years. So, what did it take to make that happen? Oh my God! Communication, trusting God, put God first, but communication and love. When me and my husband had any decisions, we talk it over. It wasn't. Uh, I always let him know that he's the head. So whatever decision we made, even though we talked, whatever decision he made, I would say, okay, we will do that. If it went wrong, he would always come back and say, I should have listened to you. (laughs) But the main thing is the communication. Keep your communication open and, and love. Respect one another and their opinion. Mm-hmm. So it ain't I'm the boss because we know that we were taken out of the side of a man. We're not to be under his foot. We're not to be behind him, but we're to be right with him. And that's a lot of marriages because when I first got married and I was working and he wasn't, it, it became a problem dealing with money because he felt like he wasn't the man to do the supporting because I was the one that was out working. But I never, ever made him feel less of a man because he was not working, because I felt like that we became one, not two. So communication kept us 45 years in marriage, but we love one another. And the vows that we made to God. So when you're when you getting married, remember the vows that you're making to the Father. So when you break those vows, you can look for destruction. And what were some of the challenges that you experienced, and how did you get through them? My challenge was my husband was a vice president of security, and he did a lot of traveling. So he was away from home a lot. 
weekends, there's times he would be there. But the main thing of it was is where I had the respect for myself. I didn't go dipping and dabbing. I didn't go partying with my children. I don't sit up there drinking with my children. I don't smoke with my children. But I let them see the type of woman that God had planned and made me. So I, I, it's really what the parents do at home that determines what the children will be. I noticed that on the Facebook, I've seen little kids. They can shake their bodies. They're doing this. And I'm saying to myself, how many of them know how to sing Jesus loves me? How many of the parents is instilling in them about Jesus? But knowing who my husband was and the respect I had for him and the respect he had for me, I just say back and say, God, we're in your hands. All right. Thank you. Well, you, you said I was kind of hard when I told you, but I didn't go. But see, once you talk to your children and you pray with your children and you tell them the right way they should go, and the things they should do and the things they should not do. And, and you show that all that love that you have. Because God gave us a body with a heart, and we, we should have a lot of love, a lot of love. For, not just for your own children, but other people's children and other family members. You know, just love people. I, I, they call me a social butterfly because I just love people. I really do. And I like being around them, you know. So my thing is with my children and, and all the other children that I had, I had over 100 children in my home when I was fostering. But you, it's, it takes a certain person to be able to foster children. Yeah. Everybody can't foster because um, you got to have love in your heart for them. And if they go out, now I don't have some foster children that turn out bad, um, Went to jail for bombing the hotel and selling drugs and all of this. But you have to show them love when they are in your home and with you. So once they leave you and do all these bad things, it ain't on you. That's for a parent, too, you know. But uh, it's hard. It's real hard for black young men's. I know they target our black young men because we got some good black young men, and, and, and they can do great things. Look at all the people who are event things are black people. Yes, yes. And so tell us about um, your marriage. How did you, what were some of the, the principles that you used to, to keep your marriage whole and wonderful, and uh, what were some of the challenges, and how did you get through them? Well, I'm telling you, when it started off, now I got married. I couldn't cook, and <laughs> 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 uh, I would always have, you know, little snack things. When he come home from work, so one day he came home. He say, "If you can't cook for me, I'm going to my mama's house and eat." And I said to him, "I said I don't care where you go to eat because <laughs> I can't cook." So he came home one Friday evening, and he said, "Come on, we're going to the grocery store." So we went to the grocery store, and he picked out everything, and you know. And then he said, "I'm gonna show you how to cook." And uh, cause my mama cooked for us breakfast, lunch, and everything. I say, "That's your mama." 
And I say, I'm the, I was the only child, so I didn't have to cook. And so he got and took me in that kitchen, and honey, he was throwing them pots and pans and say, do this and do that. Do this, this, and this, this. And uh, I think the first thing I cooked was a fried chicken, <laughs> fried chicken. And uh, he had to cut it up. I didn't even know how to cut it up. And uh, he cut it up, and, and he said, put the season on it, put the season on it. So I sprinkled salt, and he throwed the pepper up there, and I put the pepper. And uh, he looked, and he said, now roll it over in this flour here and put it in this skillet. And I put it up there. He said, turn the skillet down, turn the skillet down. You got it too high. And so I turned the skillet down, and I fried that chicken. And then I steamed some rice, and I I opened a can of June peas. (laughs) And uh, he said, now, when I come home for work, I want me some food. I don't want no knick-knack and no snack, no sandwiches and all that stuff. And so I started trying to cook, and that's how I learned how to cook. And um, so we'd get in the kitchen on Sunday and fix dinner, you know, together, and we would... um, Go on trips and stuff, and the key thing is now to be honest with each other. You got to be honest with each other. A marriage ain't based on no lie. You got to base your marriage on honesty. That's the key to keep it going. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. That was a that was delightful. So you turned what was once a challenge into a strength because it became something that y'all did together. That cooking. Y'all got in the kitchen together and did cooking yeah, later on. Yeah, people get in there with me and, and help me learn how to cook because I couldn't cook, you know. Th- that's wonderful. So you've been married for you 35 years. Your wife is actually here downstairs. And uh, so, so tell us about, uh, you told me a little bit about it before, that y'all were just so synced together that you really have not, had a whole bunch of challenges, is that right? Oh, a lot of it, but you know, for the beginning, it was kind of real. But uh, I had a grandkid there with me, my grand boy. He, he was about 17, 18. He was real. He stole four flat screen TV from me, and I went with the wasn't believing it. I didn't see him do it, but I know he did it. But my wife tells me I wasn't believing her. I, I called him, and that was it. He has to leave. Ring on down here now, one this thing, because I didn't want to do nothing to it. It kept did So tell me about your relationship with your wife. How did how did y'all oh. keep your marriage alive and healthy for so long? Well, we we always stuck together, all the time. Not never not stuck together, and. Right now, though, she began to get a lot of stuff, and it kind of rough on me because, you know, I have to tell her a lot of stuff. I can say that thing over and over again, but, mm-hmm. you know, her mm-hmm. little older than me, mm-hmm. about 74, 75, something like that. Okay. But uh, we just they stuck together all the time anyway. For a part, it went, but, you know, just when before it got married, it went. We just thought, you know, building our relationship, we just stayed it that way, stayed that way all the time. I wept the most of the time. It'd be night when I get home, and I'd be done cook, and I eat, 
eat, and then we go to bed. And our relationship, all right, been all right, didn't been a year. But her kind of, you know, get them a nub, but you can't, that you have to live with it because they're your wife. <laughs> hard, hard to live with, but then why I go ahead and, you know, do it anyway. Be real. The way it is right now. I ain't talking about then and now. But all right, that's, how, that's about it for me. Okay, thank you. Now, and I would I would love to to get into a little bit more of that um, on my nerves uh, conversation because because that's real. You know, people live with each other and they get on each other's nerves. So how do you how do you get around that? And so we we'll, we can't talk about it today. We're just about out of town, out of time, and um, you know. But but I think you said something really important that. You just got to deal with it because that's your wife. I yeah. mean, you that it, it shows such a deep commitment to the union, mm-hmm. you know, and y'all stayed together all this time. You've oh, been together, yeah. and and it's just like some things we're just not going to have as a problem. We're not going to turn that into a problem with our marriage. We're just going to deal with it. What I do when I got married, he said, dare to you, Paul, and I, I meant that. That's what I meant. I tell her a lot of time that her mate said something kind of rough, but that's why I said, Jim, I love you, and I'll be all right. Mm-hmm. I know her a minute called, you know, when you get older like her, yeah, you know, something her that say, but her don't mean it because they, they five minutes her be saying something good to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that means I don't, I don't worry about that. That's awesome. That's awesome. So in our last few minutes, you, uh, Ms. Christine, you're going to give us uh, our last uh, conversation about marriage, the strength of marriage, and how to hold it together. I think if you recall from my last conversation, uh, my key word was communication. Uh, and uh, she's already talked about that, but uh, I think that is vital to any relationship, you have to communicate. If you if you can't communicate, all is lost from the beginning. So I, I think that's very, very important. And I think uh, in a marriage, you have to remember, even though they say the two become one, you still have two separate brains and you still think act and perform differently and so you have to allow for that person's personality to come through I can recall when my niece was getting ready to get married this young man said he just loved her to death oh he just loved her so much but I noticed every time they were together and, and I was with them he was trying to change something about her. So I eventually told him, I said, David, you say you love Edwina. He said, oh, I do. I love her. I said, but why are you constantly trying to change her? If you keep doing that, you know what you're going to have? You're going to have two Davids and no Edwina. And he thought about that. And he said... I'm 
not really trying to change it. And I never thought about it like that. I said, I know you didn't. I said, but, but think about it. She has a right to her beliefs, her opinion, her ideas, just as you have a right to yours. And I think we have to be aware of that in a marriage. Even though we are joined together, we're walking hand in hand toward the same goals we all have our individuality, and I cannot stifle my husband's individuality so that mine can shine. I have to be aware uh, that he has every right that I have. So to me, you have to communicate, but you have to be aware of that other person's identity, and he has to be able to live up to whatever that identity speaks to him. And uh, I think if we were a little bit more concerned about our partners in our marriages, we wouldn't have as many divorces as we have. We, uh, we say, I do, when we get married, and then when we go into living a married life, it's I do, I do, I do, I want to do, I do, I want to do, I do. But it needs to be we do, we will, we shall, we, and then we will get along. Yeah. Well, and thank you. You know what? Um, just to add to that, we're not perfect. Nobody. And we all have faults. So that's what we have to believe God to help us to go through. And, hey, Lord, show me how he is so that I can receive him just like you. Mm-hmm. We have to stop trying to change. Yes. I can't change you. I can't change you. But I sure can change myself. <laughs> but i just like to say this. Uh, anytime you're going to do something, you and your spouse need to sit down and discuss it. And, you know, because sometimes we have women's now, they just jump out there and do and buy and whatever, you know, and, and they don't even know it. Because I have heard ladies laugh how they buy stuff and stick it under the bed, be hiding it all over the house. But uh, his money and your money is one. So if you're going to go out and spend the money, they need to know. And if they're going to go out and spend the money, I need to know. You know, just sit down and communicate with each other and say, honey, I'm going to do this today, uh, whatever, and whatever. And then it'll last, unless his mind is running in another direction. You know, sometimes that happens. You know, so if you do what you're supposed to do as a woman, you don't have no worry. Because if he do anything other than what he's supposed to be doing as a man, it's on him. Well, that is some wonderful advice. Communication, unity, uh, uh, sharing, honesty, a respect for each other's identity, being together, tolerating each other's um, irritating activities. You know, all of these things are, are really, really strong, and I really, really appreciate it. I wish we had two more hours to sit and talk because I know a whole lot more good stuff is going to come out. But there are many, many activities here at Sawika Council on Aging, and my group is headed out to take advantage of some of those activities right now, and I'm not going to hold them up. But I do want to continue to talk. One day we're going to sit and talk. We're just going to let it run. 
and just just so we can just open up and and really go deep on some of these issues. Thank you so much, each and every one of you, for participating today. And uh, that's it for this edition of Blood and Spirit. That's what it's about. Y'all have a good day. Thank you. And uh, you uh, you did ask me did I know what broadcast was because I get on.